Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Hilchay Shabbos, Perek Echod Ve'esrim, Chapter 21 of the Laws of Shabbos. Now the Ramam has taken us through the 39 Malachas, their subcategories that told us, especially in chapters 8, 9, 10, 11. And in this chapter, and, then, and in the next two chapters, the Ramam is going to take us through all the 39 prohibited activities, the Malachas, one more time, but this time adding the rabbinic prohibitions that go along together with them. So in this chapter, we're going to cover plowing, planting, harvesting, gathering, threshing, winnowing, sorting, grinding, sifting, and kneading. Here we go. Nemar batera tishbois. Halacha Aleph, the Ramam tells us, it tells us in the Torah that you're supposed to tishbois. You're supposed to rest, which means you're supposed to even cease from activities that might not technically be malachas. They might not be technically one of the 39 prohibited activities. They shouldn't be done on Shabbos. And based on this word in the Torah, the Ramam tells us that there are certain rabbinically prohibited activities. They're either pro- uh, prohibited because they're similar to the Torahically prohibited activities, or because they may lead one to violate the prohibited activities from the Torah and be, God forbid, liable for the skila, for stoning. And these actions are called shvus. These are the rabbinic prohibited activities on Shabbos. They tell us rest additionally. Here we go. Let's go through them. Halacha base. Choresh. Plowing by Torah law, leveling or filling up holes. That is the biblical liability of choresh. Therefore, rabbinically, you can't even defecate on a plowed field. Why? Because you might come to cover it up. When you're emptying a room of stuff on Shabbos, you're allowed to sometimes empty a room if it's for a mitzvah, if it's for guests. Don't completely empty it. Why not? Because once you empty it, aha, you're going to see the floor there and you might come to level the ground. We're talking about a floor which is not a paved floor, it's a dirt floor, and you might want to level it out. If you have mud on your shoes, you can wipe them on the wall, on the beam, but not on the floor because, again, you might come to level out the floor. Don't spit on the floor and wipe it with your shoe. Again, because you might come to level it, it, level it out. But you can mindlessly walk over, you right over your spit, that you're allowed to do. Also, halacha gimel, woman, they would play with nuts and almonds on the ground. They wanted a, a, pl- a level playing field, so they can't do that. You're not allowed to sweep the floor for the same reason, unless it's a stone floor. A stone floor, you're allowed to sweep. You are allowed to pour water on the floor, you want to mix it with the dirt because you don't want to. Pre- you want to prevent dust. Sometimes there's so much dirt; the floor is dirt. You want to. It's blowing all over the dust, so you put some water so it becomes a little bit uh, muddy. That you can do because you're not really concerned with the floor here. You just want to prevent the dust. Also, you're not allowed to do anything that's normally part of the weekday washing of the floor. They would shine the floor, smear the floor with oil. Even a stone floor, you can't do that. That you cannot blow away the dust or wash the floor, even on even on Yom Tov, even on the holiday. Again, these are actions that are normally part of the weekday washing of the floor. And therefore, when you usually wash the floor on the weekday, part of that process is to level it where it's uneven. So therefore, you can't engage in any process of leveling the floor. Halacha Dalit. Your courtyard, your courtyard is all muddy because of the rain. 
well, you're allowed to place out straw over it so that you can walk through it. But don't place the straw in the normal way. Do it in an unusual way. So, for instance, don't take the straw directly out of the basket or the box and put it down. Turn the basket upside down. That's way it's clear to you that you're not doing it in the regular fashion and you're not going to come to level out the ground. So these are all the shavuz, the rabbinically prohibited activities of choresh, of plowing. Let's move along now to the next malacha, zorea, planting. By Torah law, again, part of the Torah prohibition of planting is to water the field. And therefore, rabbinically, you cannot even draw water from a well with a pulley if the well is far away from your house because that's the commercial way of doing it and you might come to water the garden or the barren field on the way. Now, if the well with the pulley is in your courtyard, it's away from the field, now you're not going to come to water the field. It's in your courtyard, it's fine. And then you can do that, that's okay. On to the next malacha, koitzer, harvesting. Pulling things out of the ground. So anytime you pull something out of the ground, that's the Torah prohibition. Rabbinically then, you cannot pull honey out of a hive. That also resembles koitzer. You cannot climb onto a tree, whether it's a tree that's moist or fresh or old or brittle. Again, you might come to cut off, to rip off one of the branches, to break one of the branches off. You cannot hang things on a tree on Shabbos. You cannot lean on a tree on Shabbos. You cannot even climb up on the tree before Shabbos with the intent of staying there all Shabbos. And you cannot use anything that's connected to the ground. Again, what's the concern? You might pull it out of the ground. And the Ramam continues in Allah Chazayin, you cannot eat fruits. If the fruits fell off the tree on Shabbos, we don't let you eat them because you might come to pick the fruits that are still on the tree on Shabbos. But what you're allowed to do is you're allowed to smell, smell a hadas, a myrtle branch, which is a beautiful fragrance. You can smell it even if it's attached to the tree to the ground. After all, you have no interest in picking it. You don't need the branch for anything, you just want to smell it. But you cannot smell an esrog or an apple while they're still on the tree because, hey, you might want to pick them. They smell good. You might be tempted to pick them. Halacha ches, what about, we said you can't hang things or lean on, on trees. What about a root? A root that's at, coming out of the ground. Is the root a tree or is the root part of the ground? Which, which status does a root have? Well, that depends on halacha ches, how high the root is. If the root is sticking three tfachim, nine inches off the ground, then you can't sit on it and all the things that we said you do. But if the root is within three tfachim of the ground, then it's considered to be a part of the ground itself. So it's okay to sit on it. Um, now, if it's higher than three tfachim off the ground, you can't even sit on the part that's lower than three, three tfachim off the ground. Now, when we say above or within, we mean... Even on one side, meaning let's say it's on a slant, it's on a hill, and the roots are in some parts there within three tvachim of the ground, and some parts there above three tvachim off the ground. Well, you can't sit on any, any of them because part of them are three tvachim off the ground. And the same is true if there's a cavity, a hole around the roots that's three tvachim. Ah, well, that really essentially means that the, the roots are sticking three tvachim off the ground. You cannot, for the same reason, halacha test, you cannot ride on an animal on Shabbos. Why? Because you might come to pull off a branch from the tree, and you might come to use it as a guide to guide your animal. You're not allowed to hang from an animal, and you're not allowed to climb on an animal before Shabbos to sit on the animal all Shabbos long. You want to go up on an animal, spend the Shabbos on your camel. You cannot do that. You cannot lean on an animal, but you can lean on things that are leaning on an animal. Now, what happens if someone climbed on a tree before Shabbos? Now, if they didn't realize, they didn't realize, and now all of a sudden it's Shabbos, and oh my gosh, well, you're allowed to come down. 
But if you knew, if you knew that you're not allowed to climb a tree on Shabbos, so you climb the tree on Shabbos, I don't know if I said before Shabbos, you climb the tree on Shabbos and now you want to come down. You didn't realize you couldn't climb it. Now you're allowed to stay, you're allowed to come down. But if you knew, if you knew on Shabbos you're not allowed to climb that tree, well, you cannot come down because you did it intentionally so. What about an animal? An animal is different. Even though you intentionally climbed up on an animal on Shabbos, here we have a different prohibition. The prohibition is you don't want to cause pain or discomfort to the animal. The animal doesn't want you on its back all Shabbos. So therefore you're allowed to come off the animal even if you climbed it intentionally on Shabbos. And for this reason, that's the reason you can release a load, a load from an animal. You're allowed to release it, the load on Shabbos itself. How do you release a load on Shabbos? So this is the, this is the subject matter of Halacha Yud. Here's how you release a load on Shabbos. You do it in an unnatural way. So if it has a big sack that goes over both sides of the animal. You have to picture this a little bit. So you stick your head under one side, you push it over, and it'll fall over on the other side. So if your animal is carrying loads and it comes in from a journey on Friday night, as soon as it gets into your court cart, okay, and you're allowed to carry there, you're allowed to move things, so you take off the items that you're allowed to move on Shabbos. Okay, we'll learn about that later. There's certain items you're allowed to move and touch on Shabbos, and certain items you cannot. The things you're allowed to move, take them off the animal right away. And then you release the ropes that are carrying the forbidden stuff and it'll just fall off the animal. Sounds simple enough. But what happens if the animal, if the items that you cannot touch on Shabbos, they're breakables and uh, they'll shatter if you just let them fall. So what you do is, if they're light, you can place cushions and pillows underneath, then you let it fall on the cushions and pillows. Now, there's a reason to think you can't do this because once you use the cushions and pillows to catch these items that cannot be moved on Shabbos, you've essentially, we're going to learn this later on, you've essentially taken these cushions and pillows and made them as a supporting item for things that can't be touched and moved on Shabbos. And once those pillows and cushions are supporting items, they now can no longer be used on Shabbos. So you've sort of like destroyed their ability to be used on Shabbos and you can't generally do that. But since we're talking about things that are light, if they're light here, then you can always slip the uh, cushions and pillows out from underneath on Shabbos, and it's not a problem. They're not permanently the support for forbidden items on Shabbos. So, again, we're going to get into this later a little bit. Uh, I hope this is clear. Now, let's say the breakable items are large pieces of glass. Well, you know what? You let them drop because if they're just large sheets of glass, you're going to melt them down anyway later on. And the minor devaluation from the break is not enough to allow for any leniency on Shabbos. But let's say you have no choice. They're really heavy. They're beautiful glassware that are already made. And uh, what do you do? But you can't, you're not allowed, you have to help the animal because you can't, well, no, you don't want this animal to be carrying a heavy load a whole Shabbos. But on the other hand, these items are forbidden from being moved generally on Shabbos. Well, here, although generally you're not allowed to move them, it's a rabbinic prohibition, here out of concern for the animal, you're allowed to gently lower the load. Okay? That all goes under. Koitzer, that's all for harvesting and using animals and trees on Shabbos. Let's move on to the next malacha ma'amer gathering, and this is halacha yiralef. So pressing fruits together into one glob, they call it a cake of dried fruits, um, that's part of the actual Torah prohibition. And therefore, here are the rabbinic shavusim that come along with it, number one. If fruits fell all over your courtyard, you can collect them by hand, but you're not allowed to collect them into a box or a basket as you usually do during the weekday because what's the concern? The concern is you might press them together in that basket or box and violate ma'amr. Also, you cannot collect salt together. Collecting salt together looks like ma'amr. Looks like gathering. Okay, on to dash threshing. You'll remember in chapter 8, 
The Raman taught us that mafarik, that separating out one food from another, like squeezing out olive, olive oil from olives or grape juice from grapes, that's also part of the biblical prohibition of dash, of threshing, separating two things. And therefore, even, you cannot even squeeze berries and pomegranates. Yes, usually no one squeezes those, but some people do squeeze them. So, if people are going to see, if you're going to squeeze these berries or these pomegranates, which on their own are okay, because there's not really two separate items here. It's not like olive oil and olives, or grape juice and grapes. They're just part of the same thing. But if people see you squeezing that, they're going to say, aha, aha, if you can do that, then you can squeeze grapes and olives. But what you're allowed to do is you're allowed to squeeze, uh, they translate it here as uh, apples or crab apples or quinces, because nobody usually squeezes that at all. So therefore, you don't have to be concerned that uh, you, that's not going to look like squeezing out something. If you have food, you have foods that are picked or they're cooked. They're, sorry, not picked. They're pickled. They're pickled or they're cooked. So you're allowed to squeeze the liquid out of them. But you cannot do it if you're doing so to get the liquid out. If you're just doing it because you don't want a lot of the wicked liquid in your pickles, in your pickled cucumbers, that's fine. But if you want the liquid, you cannot do that. Therefore, you cannot crush ice to get out the water from the ice. But you can crush it into a bowl or a cup. And the reason for this is a little bit beyond the purview of this class right now. When it comes to garlic or it comes to grain or grapes that are not yet ripe, and you started grinding them up before Shabbos. So if they still need to be ground up with an instrument, then you cannot continue grinding them on Shabbos. But if they just need to be finished up, you just need to finish up grinding them by hand. That you're allowed to do. And for this reason, you're allowed to mix up and thereby finishing off the grinding of kernels of a cereal of grain that were already ground, already ground up. So you're just fixing it up, meaning you take a spoon, you mix them up on Shabbos. After you've already removed the grain from the fire, uh, now you're just finishing the mixing up. Again, we're not used to these different dishes, but the point is that you can, you can finish it up if all you need to do is mix it up. Also, halacha yadalad, you're allowed to remove kernels or peas from their shells, their husks, their pods on, on Shabbos. But you have to do it in an unusual way. We'll learn about that shortly. And this way, it doesn't look like dash. It doesn't look like threshing at all. Now, let's say someone milked an animal, and they milk the animal with their mouth. That's not the usual way of doing it. But as we learned, milking an animal is a Torah prohibition on Shabbos. And doing it in the unnatural way is rabbinically prohibited. But let's say he really wants the milk. He's crying out in pain. He really needs this milk. He has a big stomach ache. It's very soothing, the milk. He's coughing. It's not really a medical danger here. So the rabbis permitted him to milk the cow by mouth because that's not the usual way of doing it. Okay, halacha tezvav. Let's say liquids. Liquids are oozing. They're oozing out of olives or grapes on Shabbos. Well, you cannot drink them until after Shabbos. You can't do that. Okay? The concern is, again, you might come to squeeze them on Shabbos. If liquids are oozing out of berries or pomegranates, whereas we learned the very act of squeezing them is in and of itself only prohibited because it might look like the olives and the grapes, then if the, if the liquid oozed out on its own, you're allowed to drink them. Um, if these were pomegranates or, or berries, not grapes, pomegranates or berries, that you planned on eating to begin with. That means I've set these pomegranates and berries aside to eat. Then all of a sudden, liquid came oozing out of them. I can do that. But if you had in mind that these are the fruits, these pomegranates and berries, you're going to crush, you're, you're going to squeeze for their juice, then if it pressed for their juice, then if the juice comes out on its own, you cannot enjoy it. Now let's say you already squeezed or pressed olives on Shabbos, before Shabbos. Now if more liquid comes out of these grapes or olives, it's not a problem because uh, no concern. What are you going to do? You're going to press them? You already pressed them. 
They're already pressed. And the same would be true of a honeycomb that was already crushed before Shabbos. That honey can, the honey, more honey comes out of it. That's okay. You already finished doing the act before Shabbos. That was dust. That was grinding. Now on to Zaira winnowing and Boirer sorting. You'll remember again, you cannot remove kernels from their shells in an, in a usual way. You can do so in an unusual way. What's the unusual way of removing kernels from their shells? With your fingernails. That's okay. But when you want to blow, now you finish sorting them out. Now you want to, you, you finish dust, you finish uh, uh, threshing them, you got the, the, the kernels out of the husks. Now you want to blow away the shells, you want to blow away the husks, now you need to be holding them in your hand, and then you can blow as hard as you want. But you can't have them in a vessel with sections in them, because again, what does that look like? That looks like a strainer, it looks like a sifter, it looks like zaira, it looks like biter, and that is biblically prohibited. Also, part of biter. This is all halacha yudzayin, okay? Uh, part of Bayer, uh, and merakeid, merakeid is uh, sifting, uh, is, is sifting out the sediments. So though you, we've learned, if you'll remember, if you have wine, wine that can be drunk, you're allowed to sift it with a cloth, or, or they call it an Egyptian basket, We've learned that since you can drink it before it's sifted out, before it's, uh, uh, you can continue drinking it after, you're allowed to sift it out further. Because you're not going from undrinkable wine to drinkable wine. However, and I don't know how to picture this exactly, you cannot make a depression in the cloth that you're sifting. It sort of comes down, and that way it resembles a type of a filter. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but since it looks like a filter, it's a problem. Also, you can't place a filter over the top of a barrel. That too resembles the weekday act of filtering. Also, you'll remember we learned that making cheese, making butter... You're causing the milk to curdle. So what is that? That's butter. That's sorting and separating. You're not allowed to do that. So rabbinically, you can't even separate out if you have a candy that's uh, made with nuts and honey together. It's one glob. You can't separate out the honey and the nuts. You, 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 you can put them together, but you can't separate them. Okay, on to halacha yudches, on to toichen, grinding. So dicing vegetables into very small pieces to cook in order to cook them, that is teichen, that is grinding. And therefore, you're not even allowed to shred, you're not allowed to shred grain that's not ripe. Why would you do that? Because the grain is animal food. Or carobs, which is also animal food to feed your animals. Large animals, small animals, it makes no difference. It looks like grinding. Now, it's not actually grinding. You know why? Because grinding, or the prohibition of grinding, only applies to fruits, to produce, to human produce. But because it looks like it, you can't even do it to the grain or the carob that you're going to feed your animals. You can cut up turnips and squash to feed your animals, and you can also cut up the carcasses of, a, of, a, of your animal to feed to a dog. You can also untie and spread out bundles of hay for animals, but only small bundles, not large bundles, because large bundles take a lot of effort to do that on Shabbos. Halacha Yotas. Let's say you have things that are both, it's both animal food, but it's also human food. It's also used for wood. These are items that are called like bundles of, they call them sia, ezev, kuranis, so you are setting them aside. If you had them set aside in your mind for an animal, for use, then you can break them apart from their husks with your fingertips in the unusual way. That's okay. Because it has to do with what you had in mind. You designated this as animal food. That's okay. But you still cannot take a large amount at a time because that's the way it's done during the weekday. And you might come to then do real toich and real grinding. Also, halachachaf. You can take um, peppercorns and you can crush them with the handle of a knife, 
You can crush out the peppers, but not with a regular pestle and mortar, like a regular grinder for pepper that you cannot do. That's called toichon, that's grinding. Therefore, and now we're going to get into the next set of laws in this chapter, a healthy person cannot take medicine on Shabbos. Why? Rabbinically, it is prohibited because you might come to crush the medicinal herbs. So therefore, halacha chafal of anything that a healthy person would not eat on Shabbos, unless um, they, they should not be, they should not eat on and a healthy person on Shabbos. They shouldn't eat that unless they're sick. They need it for medicine. They need it for medicine. But a healthy person shouldn't do that. And that includes things like medicinal roots called azov and pua, or lana, which causes diarrhea, or water that was used to cook herbs and grasses. Normal healthy people don't eat that. So you cannot eat it on Shabbos because it's for medicinal purposes. Now, if halacha chabez, healthy people would eat or drink it, then you can, you can eat it, even though it might have medicinal benefits. So there's something called azov or coriander seeds or kshus. Uh, these are items that their regular normal people do eat them. They also have medicinal benefits. Okay, you're allowed to eat that. Also, let's say you started your dose of something called chiltis. Chiltis was a medicinal drink that was made from a very bitter, sharp herb, a plant. And you started your dosage before Shabbos. You have to continue it on Shabbos, otherwise you could get sick. So even though it is medicinal... Uh, it's, it's, it's not drunk by healthy people, but because you started your dose, you can continue doing it. Also, there's this type of beer that's from Egypt. It's allowed to be drunk because people drink it, even though it is used for healing, but uh, people drink it normally, so that's okay also. When it comes to halacha of gimel, applying ointment, applying ointments or oils, if they're ones that are, you can be used by healthy people, um, it's okay. As long as they're not only used for sick people. So if let's say you have a pain in your lower waists, you cannot smear wine or vinegar there. Because I guess that was the medicinal way of doing it. But you can smear oil. Oil, healthy people also smear oil on them. You can also use rose oils that were used by healthy people. And you can always use an oil-salt mixture. That's all regular people do that. If you have a bruise on your hand or on your leg, you can soak it in wine to stop the bleeding, but you cannot soak it in vinegar. That's considered a medicine. Now, if you're such a delicate person that even putting wine on it is uh, is going to stop them, is, is going to act as a medicine for you, that's a medicine. Then you can't even put wine on it. Let's say you have a toothache, it hurts on Shabbos. Halacha chavdalim, you cannot sip vinegar, but you can drink or swallow it. That's not the normal way of. That's not the normal medicine. The same thing if you have a throat ache, you cannot gargle oil, but you can drink or swallow a lot of it if that helps. Tavi alachabracha, that's wonderful. Also, you cannot chew raw gum from a tree, from a tree that has a, a, and you also cannot brush your teeth with a potion to heal your teeth. We call that toothpaste. Uh, but you can use mouthwash in order to have good breath that you're allowed to do. Also, you cannot place wine in your eyes. That would help your eyes in some cases, but you can place it on top of your eye. You cannot place, place saliva. Uh, before eating, they would place saliva on top of the eye. You can't do that. And if you prepare the eye ointment before Shabbos, what you do is you're allowed to place it over the eye, and then you don't worry if it drips into your eye on Shabbos, that's okay. Let's say someone injured their finger, they cannot wrap an elastic or tightly squeeze it with their hand to prevent bleeding. Again, these are all forms of medical care that are prohibited on Shabbos. Halacha chaf vav, you cannot place warm water and oil on a wound, or on the fabric that you have on your wound, uh, or on the fabric that you're going to place on your wound. But you can apply it over the wound, and again, it'll drip down. That's okay. You can also place a dry fabric over your wound, but not an aged fabric, because that also acts as a healing agent. 
If halacha chavzayin, a bandage just slipped off the womb, but it just slipped off onto something else, so you can put it back. But if it slipped onto the floor, then it's no longer permissible to replace it on Shabbos because that's like replacing a brand new bandage. Now, in the base Hamigdash, in the temple, the Kohen needed to take off any bandages to perform the services. The service. Why? Because they could not have any intervening substance between their clothing and their body. So they were allowed to do that, no problem. And they could replace the bandage afterwards. And that's because of the rule that Ein Shvus B'Mikdash. All these Shvus, all these rabbinical prohibitions and decrees that we've been discussing, they do not apply within the walls of the base Hamigdash and the temple service. And you can always, no matter where you are, you can always clean a wound. You just cannot clean the bandage. Why? Because you might come to smear things, and that's another problem, which we'll talk about, God willing, in the next chapters. Halacha chav ches. You're allowed to apply ointments and massage your stomach on Shabbos at the same time. Otherwise, you can't do with them separately, because that's the way they do it during the weekday. During the weekday, they do the ointment, and then the massage, and the massage, and then the ointment. You feel Shabbos, you want to do it in an unnatural, unusual way, do them both at the same time. Also, no exercising on Shabbos, which means, exercise can mean people putting pressure on you, weight on you so that you sweat, or you exerting yourself, like walking fast. You cannot do so to the point that you sweat, because sweating is also a medicinal activity. Okay. Also, you cannot stand on certain muddy surfaces in Israel and Eretz Yisrael. There are certain muddy surfaces where it somehow heals your feet. It exercises and it heals your feet. You cannot do that. And here the Ramam now continues with other medical practices that are prohibited on Shabbos, not necessarily, not necessarily related to teichen, not necessarily related to grinding, but you cannot engage in any type of healing or medicine on Shabbos. So chavtas. You cannot bathe or soak in waters that are going to harm you. Why? Because the Torah says, um, um, uh, The Prophet says, you have to call a Shabbos a day where you have enjoyment and delight. And therefore you can't bathe in waters that are going to harm you. We'll talk about bathing in hot waters in general in two chapters from now, or the next chapter, sorry. And this includes waters that cause diarrhea or quicksand or water that has flax, uh, flax soaking in it or the Mediterranean Sea or the Mediterranean waters that smell bad. Now, if you just went in and you came out quickly, it's not too harmful, that's okay. Now, even though, by the way, you happen to have sores on your head and they got healed from that, that's okay on the side. So if you stick that in, that's okay. Halacha lamed, you cannot use a scraper to scrape your skin unless you have mud or you have uh, dung excrement on your, on your skin, then you could do that. And then you can't, it seems to be that this is a problem that's related to weekday activities, and we'll also talk about cleaning later on in two chapters from now. Also, you are allowed to smear oil, that's normal, and smear or smear the peel of skins on you, that's pleasure, that's not medicinal, that's fine. But you cannot do that to animals unless the animal is in pain. So if you have an animal, and the animal overate, it ate a lot of peas and beans, animals can also, uh, you know, uh, have a stomachache. Uh, can, you can have it run, when you run, it somehow runs off the stomachache, that's okay. If the animal is red, I guess it means it has an elevated blood pressure of sorts. Well, you can have it stand in the cold uh, water or, the, or, or in the cool temperature to cool it down. We're not concerned when it comes to animals that you're going to grind down herbs for animals because people don't go to that extent for their animals. Uh, at least, uh, normally they don't. Halacha lamed aleph. You cannot use a potion to get you to throw up. You, you want to throw up? You can place your hand inside your mouth to get yourself to throw up. And the same thing is you cannot press down on a baby's stomach to get it to uh, throw up its food uh, because you might come to create some sort of laxative that will get the uh, some medicine, you might crush some herbs that will create a laxative for the baby. 
But here are things where there's no concern at all that it's going to at all create any medicine and any no problems because medicines aren't involved in this. And also, it's painful for a child and it's permissible. So here are some items. You can place some type of suction cup over the navel of the stomach and get it to pop up. I guess maybe that's for a hernia. You can also place a brace around the, someone's neck or ripe, or tightly wrap around cloth around the hips if maybe they got dislocated. You can lift an infant's ear with an instrument or by a hand and you can pull up their chest muscles. All those are allowed on Shabbos. And this concludes the medicinal health prohibitions on Shabbos. Now let us continue along on to Merakeid, on to sifting. Here we go. One of the prohibited 39 categories is sifting. Therefore, rabbinically, you cannot even sift straw in a strainer, or you cannot even put the strainer with the straw where it's high up, where the wind will blow out the husks, because that looks like you're straining. Remember, there are two reasons for the shavuos, either because it might lead to a prohibited activity, or it looks like a prohibited activity. But you're allowed to put straw in a strainer, and the reason you do that is to bring up the animals to eat. Hey, it's food, it's mealtime, you can do that. Yes, you're right, the husks may fall down on their way out, but that's not your intention, so that is okay. On to Lush, as we conclude this chapter, with Lush, with kneading. You'll remember that mixing together, like creating a mud or a clay, mixing together mud and clay, that's magabal, that's part of the Torah prohibition of kneading. So therefore, what are the rabbinic prohibitions? Here they go. You cannot even knead roasted flour together. It's forbidden because you might come to knead regular flour together, but you're allowed to knead it slowly. If, however, you have a grain that was picked, it was picked before it was really one-third ripe. And now it's ground into big, into coarse, larger pieces. It's called shasis, it's sand-like things. Then you can even eat it a lot. And you can eat it with lots of vinegar, so long as, uh, as the mixture is a bit soft, it's liquidy, it's not firm, it's not dough-like, it doesn't look like a kneading of a dough, that's okay. If you want to make it a thicker, stiffer dough, uh, you have to do it in an irregular fashion. So you place the shashis in, and then you place the vinegar in. That's not the usual way of the kneading. Also, you cannot knead bran. Bran is animal food. You cannot knead, you, you, you cannot knead bran together, even though it's not going to stick. Why? Because you come, might come to knead dirt together. You might come to do magabal, dirt and dust. But you can pour water over the bran, and you stir it around with a spoon. You can't do it with your hands, because doing your hands, that looks like lush. That looks like kneading. If it's not mixing well with your spoon, well, you can pour it from one bowl into another bowl and back and forth, and then uh, it's mixed, and then you can feed it all to your, uh, the bran. What do you do? You feed it to your chickens or your oxen. Uh, if you have, you can even mix up a tremendous amount of bran. A core is a tremendous a truckload of, of bran, two core, in one bowl, and you divide it, and you divide it, and divide it into many containers to feed all your animals. You're not allowed to feed on Shabbos, you're not allowed to feed animals or birds uh, in the normal fashion. And the reason for that is because that might, uh, uh, you might um, come to teichen uh, or lush, you might come to uh, grind and knead and thresh or grind it out or, or knead it together. Meaning, what's normal? A camel eats three or four days worth of food at one time. That's the norm for a camel. You can't force feed a calf. They would force feed a calf. They would uh, uh, throw it down and they would uh, feed it the peas and the beans and water. You can't force feed uh, chickens or doves by placing your hand deep into their mouth and then they can't spit it out. But you can stand up an animal and bird and you can feed them peas and beans or water and place it in their mouth as long as they can spit it out. That's okay. The issue is force feeding it. Obviously, you can place the animal in front of uh, food. That's okay. 
But the, as we conclude the chapter, you're only allowed to do this, feed uh, or lead the animal to food. You can only allowed to do that with animals that you're responsible for. You own them, whether they're domesticated animals, wild animals, the domesticated doves, geese, chicken, whatever it is, but you have a responsibility to feed them. But if animals usually find food on their own, you have pigs, you have doves, doves in the wild, you have bees, then you cannot give them any food or water at all. You can place the animal in front of the grass and it'll eat it, okay? I, the animal's harvesting, it can do that. But you cannot place the animal in front of food that is muksa, that has been set aside, that you cannot move. You can stand the animal so that it'll sort of go in that direction. That's okay. And you can do, even do that on the holiday, but you cannot place the animal right in front of this food that has been set aside and not to be used on Shabbos. And this concludes the first set of Shavuosim, chapter 21. Let us now continue, Perechav Beis, chapter 22. And here we're continuing again the rabbinic restrictions called the Shvus. And here we're going to cover baking, shearing, bleaching, dyeing, sewing, rip, uh, ripping apart, uh, building, and demolishing. Halacha Aleph. They used to bake breads. They used to stick the dough to the walls of the oven. So rabbinically, you're not allowed to remove the bread from the walls of the oven because you might come to bake it. That's part of the baking. But let's say accidentally, accidentally, it's Friday, you left your challah, now it's baking on the walls of the oven, and now it's Shabbos. What do you do? So you're allowed to remove three meals worth of your bread for Shabbos. But you cannot remove it with a normal utensil. You have to use a knife, something which is not the normal way of removing it. And you can also tell your friends, they can also take it out, no problem. Halacha beis, you are not allowed to bathe on Shabbos. Why not? That's a rabbinic prohibition. Why not? Because those who ran the bathhouses, they would tell people, they would tell people that they heated the water before Shabbos, when in truth they really heated it on Shabbos. And therefore, you can't even enter a bathhouse to have a schwitz, a sauna, or even you cannot even wash your entire body with hot water that was warmed up before Shabbos. You're allowed to wash with warm water just your hands or your feet or your face. And you can even wash your entire body if it's naturally heated water, meaning from a, a hot spring. But you cannot go into a hot spring that's in a cave because that's a schwitz, that's like a sauna. Basically, it's like a bathhouse. The steam in there looks like a bathhouse. Now, halacha gimel, you're allowed to stand in front of a fire. You warm up your body, and then you wash your body with cold water. That you can do. But you can't wash your body with cold water and then stand in front of a fire. That's like bathing in hot water. You're heating up the water. Also, let's say you have a pipe, a pipe that has cold water running through it. And you place that pipe in uh, hot water. And you th- so now the pipe is running through the hot water. It's going to warm up the cold water that's in the pipe. Uh, you cannot, sorry, if you do that, you cannot then use the water. You have, that's what you have. You have a pipe running through this, a cold pipe running through hot water. You cannot then use the water to wash or to drink. It's been heated on Shabbos. This is true even though the water is hot springs. And we just said hot springs is not, not prohibited by Torah law to cook in hot springs as we learned earlier. But you cannot use this water now to wash or to drink with. Now you're allowed to halacha dalid place a bottle of water or a bottle of congealed oil in front of the fire. And what is that? That's just, you're doing it just to remove the chill, to get it to liquefy, but not to heat it up. You can't leave it there to heat it up. Also, if you just dip your hand in oil, you dip your hand in water, you can stand now in front of the fire to warm it up. It's unlike the last halacha where we said if you wash your whole body in water, you can't stand in front of the fire. That's okay. Providing, again, that the temperature of the water, not again, but we've talked about this earlier, providing that the water, the temperature of the water, the oil, is never going to go over that temperature of the temperature where the belly of of an infant would get scalded with that temperature, approximately 110 degrees Fahrenheit, that you cannot, if it gets over that temperature, a problem. 
Also, you can warm up clothing and then you can put them on your stomach to warm up your skin. You want a nice uh, hot compress, uh, that's okay. If you have a hot tub of water, you cannot add cold water or a flask of oil into it because that'll be cooking it. Um, but if you have a tub of cold water, you can add hot water into it. Th- that's okay because that's not going to be cooking the uh, big tub of cold water. It's much less cold water. You cannot, uh, so you're allowed to put cold water into an urn. That urn was used to have hot water in it. So you empty the urn of hot water. And now you put cold water in it. Why are you putting cold water in it? You want to remove the chill. You could do that. That's okay. Now, you could also pour hot water into cold water. That we said, because you have a lot of cold water, a little bit of hot water, that's not going to do anything. And here's the way that you can add cold water to hot water. Or you can place seasoning or flavoring into hot water. How do you do that? You pour the hot water out of the pot or the container that it's in, that it's heated in, and you first pour the hot water into a second keli, we call that a klisheni, and then you can now add the cold water or the seasoning or the spicing to it. Yes, it might still be very hot, but it's in a klisheni. You poured it out uh, in, in, from the pot into a bowl. So it doesn't have the ex- same extreme heat as does the original container, the pot that it was cooking in. Now, simply taking this pot off the fire, that's not good enough. Now you cannot put cold water or spices or seasoning in it. But the exception is salt. Salt you can even place into the hot water when it's in its original keli, when it's in its original container, because it takes immense, off the fire, because it takes immense heat to cook this salt. Not a problem. Now you'll remember from the last chapter we talked about this chiltis, this medicinal bitter herb. You cannot soak it in hot water or cold water because it's medicine, you'll remember. You're allowed to put it in vinegar. That's not the normal way. And the exception, you'll remember, if you had it on Thursday or Friday, now you've already started your dosage, then you can soak it in cold water on Shabbos. And then you put it in the sun to heat it up. This way you won't get sick because you have to continue your dosage of chiltis. Halacha ches. Now, if someone, someone something, uh, something was already cooked, it's already cooked in hot water before Shabbos. Now it cooled down. Now it's Shabbos. Now you want to soak it in hot water again to reheat it. Well, that's allowed because you're not cooking it. You're re-cooking it, and that's okay. But if it was never heated up. Now, you can rinse it in hot water. That's okay, unless rinsing in hot water is actually going to cook it. Sometimes, just all you need to for some things that are called very light cookers. We've learned these things. They only require a little bit of just rinsing in hot water, and that's going to cook it off. You cannot do that. Halachates. You're allowed to use the sun to cook on Shabbos. But you cannot use something that was heated by the sun to cook on Shabbos. You have a piece of metal that's heated by the sun. You cannot fry an egg on that. Uh, now, you're allowed to use the sun because the rabbis didn't prohibit it that because no one's going to mix up and say, hey, if you're allowed to use the sun, then you're allowed to cook. They're going to realize there's a difference here. And here are other permissible ways of making food suitable to consume. You can take, pour fresh water and you can pour it into foul or stagnant water. That's okay, even though you're making it ready to use this water now. And you can place food into a pit. We call that a refrigerator to keep it from going bad. That is okay. Halacha yud, you can mix a small quantity of water, salt, and oil together as a dip to dip your bread. But if you make a large quantity, that looks like a cooking operation. That's a problem with cooking. And you cannot make any amount of very strong salt water. So what's strong salt water? If you have two-thirds part salt to one-third part water, that's like creating a brine, and that's cooking. 
You're allowed to salt your egg, but you cannot salt you cannot salt radishes because that looks like you're making pickles, and you cannot pickle on Shabbos because the act of pickling is like the act of cooking. Now you can dip your radish or your vegetable into salt. That's not pickling. That's dipping something into salt. Halacha yud aleph, you're allowed to create a mixture of honey, of wine, and of pepper, but you cannot mix together wine, water, and a farsim and oil because that's medicinal. So that mixture is a medicinal mixture. You cannot use to mix that together. Halacha yud base. Let's say you're already mixed together mustard and vinegar before Shabbos, and now you need to give it another mix on Shabbos, and you need to add some honey. That's okay. You can do that with a hand, with your utensil, but you can't whip it up. Okay, if, if, if that's already like whipping things up, but it's like a cooking on Shabbos. That's a, it looks like a cooking operation. Now, if you have this thing, this strong herb that's called shachalayim. And you mixed it with water before Shabbos. You're allowed to add, they would add vinegar and oil and spices on Shabbos and mix them together. But again, no whipping. You're not allowed to whip this together. Let's say you pressed garlic before Shabbos. Uh, you can, now you can add peas on Shabbos, but you cannot grind it together, just mix it together. That all was, the first 12 halachas here were all related to cooking. Now let's go, now we finished Baking, cooking, now we've finished all the way from threshing and plowing all the way through cooking. Now we're going to move to Gaziza, shearing. Here we go, the next, uh, this is Halacha Yud Gimel, shearing. Now taking off hair from your body, that's called shearing. That's Gaziza, we learned that in chapter 9, that's prohibited by Torah law. Now what are the rabbinic shivusim? Therefore you cannot wash your hands in a chemical that's going to for sure remove the hair. That chemical is called ahala. Okay, but you can wash your hands in a substance that may remove the hair. Okay, because it's not your intent. You're not trying. You're trying to wash your hands. It's not your intent that it'll certainly happen. And it might not happen. So examples of these type of chemicals are things called uh, frankincense. They call them pepper, jasmine. Uh, that, that, that's not a problem. Now, if you mixed a chemical that will for sure remove your hair together with a chemical that might not remove your hair, now you have this com- combination soap. Are you allowed to use it? Well, the answer is you have to see which is the majority. If the majority of this chemical soap mixture is the substance that will for sure remove your hair, you cannot. If the majority is the one that will not for sure remove your hair, then you can wash your hands in this substance. Halacha Yudalad, you're not allowed to look into a mirror that's made out of metal. Why not? Because you're going to see that you need to cut off a little bit of shorten a little bit of your hair when you're looking in the mirror. And you might be tempted to cut it off with the mirror, even though the mirror might be affixed to the wall. But because it's a metal mirror, therefore it's like a knife. Now, if the mirror is made out of glass... Our mirrors, then you're allowed to look at it even if it's not affixed to the wall because you're not going to use the mirror to cut off some hair. That's for shearing hair, shearing an animal. Malabin, let's talk about bleaching. We've already learned that machabes, that laundering and, and washing clothing is part of the bleaching biblical prohibition. Now, that's a tulda of it. So therefore, squeezing a garment is a form of laundering. So therefore, here the rabbinic prohibition. <coughs> you cannot take a cloth. You cannot take a cloth and push it into the neck of a bottle of oil. Why not? Because a cloth was going to have oil on it, and then you might squeeze it. You cannot clean with a sponge. Unless the sponge has a ha- handle, somehow with this handle, it might not squeeze as you're washing it. You cannot cover a barrel with a cloth. That If it's a normal cloth you always put over the barrels, fine. You're not going to wind up squeezing it out, because it's always it has, the, it has wine all over it. But if it's a nice cloth and you put it on the barrel, you, it's not the normal cloth you put over the barrel, you might want to squeeze it out. It's a problem. Let's say you broke a barrel. The barrel broke, so now you're panicking. You're panicking, and here the concern is, we're going to see in other situations as well, you might violate Shabbos here. So you're only allowed to save enough that you and your guests need on this Shabbos. 
you can't save the wine with a cloth because you might want to squeeze out the cloth. Get you cannot save the wine, the oil, by scooping it out with your hands because then how are you going to clean out your hands? With a cloth. And you're going to want to squeeze out that cloth to get every bit of oil. It's precious. It's expensive. So what do you do? What do you do? You place a container underneath the broken barrel that has a hole in it. So you put a, a, a container underneath it and you collect it. Now, you cannot bring many containers, meaning one to catch it in the air and one to catch and one to put underneath the one that's underneath it, again, because you might wind up, not again, because you might wind up carrying it. Too many vessels here, remember, we're concerned, you're confused, you're panicking, you might wind up carrying on Shabbos. Now, let's say new guests arrive. Now you can bring more containers, because after all, you need, you're allowed to save as much wine from this barrel as you need for your guests. But you cannot collect more wine and then invite guests. First the guests, you have to invite, the, first the guests have to arrive and you have to say, whoops, hey, I need more wine for them. And you're allowed to cheat a little bit. Meaning, you're allowed to invite guests. Hey, I need a lot of guests to come to my home. Even if these guests are not such big wine drinkers. But I have a lot more guests, now you need to collect more wine and uh, that is allowed. So that's a little bit of a way of cheating to be able to save more wine. Halacha Yudzayin. You have mud on your clothing. Well, you can rub off from the inside. You put your hand inside the clothing and you rub it off. But not on the outside, because why? You might come to wash it, laundering, washing. That's the problem of balabin, of, of, of bleaching. However, you could scrape it off on the outside with your fingernail. That's not going to lead to washing. If you have a nice shawl that's been laundered before Shabbos, you're not allowed to rub it and shine it up on Shabbos. That's washing it. But if we're talking about a newly, uh, freshly washed linen shirt, uh, that you're going to have a shawl over it, well, here, rubbing it isn't washing or laundering. It's just straightening it out a bit because you're not really, you're going to have a shawl over that shirt and it's linen. It just needs to be, uh, you know, straightened out a little bit. You need to shine it up a little bit. That's not called laundering and washing. Let's say you got some halacha yudchas, you got some mud, you got some manure on your shoes, on your sandals. Well, you can pour water over them and rub the water on them, but you cannot wash them in water. You can also not scrape off the mud or the manure from fresh leather shoes because that's like smoothing out the leather that we're going to learn about shortly. That's mamachik. It's another prohibition. But you can smear oil and you can clean off old shoes because the problem of smearing is taking fresh leather and softening it with oil. That's the problem. If you have dirt or manure on a pillow or on a blanket, well, you can clean it with a rag, no water. Uh, if they were made of leather, then you can pour, again, you can pour water on it and you can rub it. That's not called laundering leather. That's not how you launder leather. Halacha yates, your hands got all muddy. You gotta wipe them off in the unusual way. What's an unusual way? Well, here are some unusual ways. You can use a, a horse or a cow tail or a stiff cloth. But if you use a regular cloth, uh, you're gonna, what are you gonna wind up doing? You're gonna wind up uh, um, washing off the mud off the towel. That's, you're gonna do that. And that's a problem. Halacha chav. But if you wash your body in water, now we're talking about drying your body. You're not talking about getting schmutz or mud or manure off your body. Now we're talking about drying your body. You can use a normal towel and carry it around. And th- th- that's what it's used for. You're not going to wind up washing or squeezing out the towel. It's a towel that's used to dry off your body. If you got uh, your clothing all wet, you can continue walking. You're not concerned that you're going to squeeze them out. That's okay. But you cannot hang them up to dry. Why can't you hang up your clothing to dry? Because it looks like you're doing your laundry. Hey, look. Mrs. Goldberg has done her laundry. That's called marisayin. That's the appearance of the appearance of it. And therefore, the rule is that any time marisayin is prohibited, any time you prohibit something because of the way it looks, it's asur afilu bechadre chadarim. Even in a room, inside a room where no one can see it, it's still prohibited. Because once something is prohibited to do because of its appearance, even if it's not possible for other people to see it, it still remains prohibited. Halacha chaf aleph. You have two mikvahs next to each other. They're right next to each other, and they have a plug, a plug that's blocking the opening between them. And you want to take out the plug, 
And the reason you're taking the plug out is because you want the waters of the mikvah to connect with each other. Now you can pull back the plug, no problem, because when you're replacing the plug, you're not going to stuff it and squeeze it in. You're going to allow for, you're going to loosely just put the rag or whatever, the cloth, you're going to put it back in, you want to just leave it there, that's its normal place, but you still want water to flow from one mikvah to the other, and therefore there's no problem of squeezing. And the same is true when you take out a cloth to plug a drain out of your house. You're not trying to completely stop the flow of water. Uh, and therefore, you won't do it tightly. But let's say it's a plug and you, want to, you don't want any water to go out into the sewer. And you really want to plug it up well. You don't want the water to collect. You want a good seal. Then you can't do that because you're going to put pressure and you're in the plug, which is a cloth, and you're going to squeeze it. Also, halacha of base, you cannot fold up a garment to create uh, layers or cloths or cuff. You want to create a cuff. You cannot do that. In fact, you cannot fold up or straighten out clothing in a normal fashion after they were laundered. That's part of the laundering, cleaning, bleaching process. What if you don't have any other clothing? Well, you're allowed to fold and straighten out white clothing with one person. Why? Because white clothing, everyone knows, is going to get dirty anyway. So you don't do a professional job of straightening it out. And one person can't straighten it out too much. Two people can really straighten it out well. One person cannot really straighten it out well. And this concludes the set of halachas of Balabain. Now let's go to Tzviya, dyeing, and Tfira, sewing. Women are not allowed to place red dye on their face, because that's like dyeing. You can also not stuff a pillow. You cannot stuff a blanket on Shabbos, because you, once you stuff it, you might come to sew it closed. But if you had a pillow or a blanket where the stuffing fell out, then you can replace it. That's okay. Next malacha, halacha chavdalet, kareya, ripping things apart. Let's say your clothing got stuck on some thorns. You're walking, clothing gets stuck. Well, privately and very carefully remove it. Try not to have it tear. If it does, you're not liable because that wasn't your intent and it wasn't necessarily going to happen. We've learned that before. Also, you can wear clothing if it's, uh, maybe it's a size too small. And uh, you're afraid maybe as you move your shoulders, it might rip apart, rip open. That's, it's a possibility, but it might not happen. You can do that. You don't have to worry. Also, you can place nuts into a cloth. And why do you put them in a cloth? Because you want to knock the nuts. You want to break open the nuts. Uh, you don't have to worry about maybe the cloth will rip in the interim. Maybe it won't. That's not your intention. Let's move on. Halacha chafei to building and demolishing. That's the last set of halachas of this chapter. Attaching two pieces of wood together, as we learned, that is a total that is part of the biblical prohibition of building. And therefore, you cannot move or reattach a door of anything that is permanently connected to the ground. So a regular door of your home, you cannot move it or off or reattach it. But if it's a door of a box, a door of a container, it's a movable item and it has a door to it, and we'll soon learn that there's a rule of ain't binyin b'kalim. There's no such thing as building or demolishing when it comes to just movable items. So if here, here's a situation. If the bottom hinge of these doors came out, well, you can push it back in and, 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 and you can push it back in, in place. And in the base Hamigdash of the temple, as we've learned, where there are no rabbinical prohibitions, you can even completely re- repair it. But if the top hinge came out, that's the main weight of the door. The main weight of the door is on the top hinge. Then you cannot repair it at all because that requires a lot of work and you might come to use screws and attaching things together. That's biblical prohibitions. That's a problem to do. Halacha chaf. Part of building, you cannot braid your hair and you cannot create a part in your hair on Shabbos. That's like building. You cannot put together furniture that comes apart in pieces. Let's say you have like a candelabra or a table or a chair that has different pieces. You want to put them together, made in Ikea, whatever it is. That's like building. Even though we have the rule of Ein Binyan Vestida B'Kalem, that when it comes to movable items, there's no such thing as building and, uh, and uh, demolishing. You're not allowed to do that. If you did, you're not liable by Torah law, but you're liable rabbinically. If the pieces were put together already, they were just loose, now you're allowed to tighten them together. 
Uh, also, you are not allowed to straighten to straighten the vertebrae of a child. You want to be a psych, uh, uh, not a psychiatrist, a, uh, a back doctor. No, a uh, escaping me right now. Um, to, who gives you put your back or adjust your back? That you're allowed. You're not allowed to do on Shabbos. That is like building. Halacha chavav. You cannot create a permanent tent. That is the biblical prohibition. And therefore, rabbinically, you cannot even create or remove a temporary tent, a temporary roof. Any temporary roof, that's a precautionary measure. Why? Lest you come to demolish or create a permanent rooftop. So therefore, if you created a temporary or demolished a temporary roof, that's rabbinically prohibited. But you're allowed to add to a temporary roof. So let's say you have a cloth that's spread out on posts of a bed or of a wall, and it's 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 a, or whatever it is, not a bed now, but just, just and it's rolled up. You cannot unroll it. You have a rolled up rooftop. You cannot unroll it unless it's already rolled out a tefach. It's a, it's already rolled out a tefach before Shabbos, which is three inches. Then you can ro- spread it out on Shabbos. Halacha chavches. You cannot spread out nets. Over the posts of a bed, you want to keep out the flies, so they used to have a netting over a bed. That's again a temporary, oh hell, a temporary rooftop. But you can set up a bed. You're allowed to set up a bed or a chair or a table. Yes, you're right, you are theoretically creating a rooftop for the space underneath the bed, underneath the table, underneath the chair. But that's not the usual way of creating a rooftop. And that's neither temporary, it's not permanent. That's not a problem, that's not a rooftop. Halacha chavtes. If you create a roof on Shabbos, but it's less than a tefach wide, doesn't have, it's not three inches rooftop, or it's a very, very, um, uh, sl- the slope is very, very, very steep. So as it comes down three tefachim, it doesn't go out one tefach. I hope you can picture that. So as it goes down nine inches, it doesn't come out three inches. Well, that, both these scenarios are temporary rooftops, and therefore rabbinically prohibited, but not Torah prohibition, if you just create that type of rooftop. If you have a cloth and the cloth is tied to a post and it's folded up, you can spread it out fully because the fact that it was folded up, it already had on the rooftop, it was already a tefach's worth, three inches worth. Also, you can hang up or you can take down a curtain, like a, something blocking a window. That's not a roof. That's not an oil. That's not a, a tent. That's a partition. A partition is not a problem. Now, here's a situation, halacha lamid, where you're allowed to create a cloth enclosure over a bridal bed. Okay, you have to picture this a little bit. You know, one of the books has a nice uh, picture. One of the other books has a nice picture of this. You have a cloth over a bed. Let's say, uh, just picture it. It's suspended from uh, the roof by a rope. You have a big cloth. In the middle of the cloth, it's suspended. So now it's coming down. And the top has absolutely no rooftop. So there's no rooftop there because it's just literally a point at the top. And So there's no rooftop of an area, of, of a tefach, of three inches. And as it comes down, it comes down as, again, a very, very steep slope. So that it never, every three tefachim down, it never goes out one tefach. So it's really, really a pretty narrow, sleep, uh, steep slope of this netting, of this uh, uh, br- uh, cloth enclosure over the bridal bed. Now, it's okay. It also does not hit the bed frame on its way down. Because as soon as it's going to hit the bed, what's going to happen? It's going to hit the bed, the, the cloth, and then the bed, and then it's going to keep on going down to the floor. So now, if you can picture it, you've created a little bit of an ohel between uh, the the uh, side of the bedpost and the floor. Okay. Uh, that's okay, uh, and or if it does hit the uh, if it does hit the bed, at least the bed is not one tefach off the ground. It's literally within three inches of the ground. Then there's no problem because that's not an ohel underneath that. Again, it's hard to picture this. You have to see a picture. Uh, that would be allowed. Also, you can close up a window with a curtain that's made for that purpose, even though it's not tied to the window. It's not a partition. It's not an ohel. Again, it, it's a, it's a partition. It's not an ohel. It's not a rooftop. It's a partition. 
A halacha lamid aleph. You can wear a hat. Hat has a brim. That's okay. It's a shade over your face. That's not called creating a rooftop. But let's say, I don't know how you picture this, but imagine some type of extension coming out of your clothing over your head. It's fastened to your head and it's a hard material like a roof. You have literally a roof coming out of your head, out of your hat. Well, that's a temporary oha and that's going to be rabbinically prohibited. Okay? It's raining and you want to create something. That's interesting. Okay. Halacha lamid base. When you are hanging up a curtain, you got to be careful not to spread it out because as you're hanging it up, you might accidentally create an ohel. You might create a rooftop. So if it's a big cloth, you got to get two people to put it up. You can't just have one. And if it hangs on posts on an angle, then you cannot even hang it up with 10 people because inevitably, it's gonna, you're, not, you're never going to lift it off the ground and when it's touching the ground, you're inevitably going to create a temporary ohel, a temporary rooftop. Continue completing this chapter, halacha lamad gimel. You cannot completely cover a barrel with a cloth because that barrel then becomes an ohel. It becomes a rooftop. You've created a rooftop of the barrel. You can cover it partially. That's okay. And if you're filtering things through, remember we talked about this Egyptian basket that reads they would filter things through it. Don't lift up the basket one tefach over the substance because that's again going to create a temporary ohel, a temporary rooftop over the substance. And this concludes Perek Chavbeis chapter 22. Here is the last set of malachas we're going to go through. Again, the shavuosim, the rabbinical prohibitions, either again because they're prohibited, either because they look like the Torah prohibition or because they can lead you to violate the Torah prohibition. And here we're going to go through makabapatish, the final hammer blow, the final finishing off touch, tanning, smoothing out leather, writing, erasing, and extinguishing a fire. Here we go. Halacha aleph, makabapatish, the last step in creating something is is sometimes the last step is creating a hole, creating a hole that can be used for things to go in and go out. So for instance, light or air, okay? A chicken coop, you need light or air to go in and out. That's part of the Torah prohibition of Makkah Patish of the finishing, finishing, creating something. The rabbis, therefore, they enforced, they said that you can't even create a hole that's used for things to enter or exit, even though they only do one of the two. Even if it only exits or eg- enters, that's okay. They can't do that because that might lead you to make a hole that will be used for both. So, for instance, you cannot create a new hole in a barrel. You cannot widen an already existing hole in a barrel. Now, you can reopen an old hole unless that hole is at the bottom of the barrel where the sediments are. Why can't you do it there? Because the pressure, it's, it, it's sealed it up. Because of all that pressure, it's really been sealed very well. So when you're reopening it, it's basically akin, it's basically like creating a new hole to begin with. Now, you're allowed to make a hole, halacha bays, in the plug. So you have the plug in the barrel. You can create a hole in that plug of the barrel, but you need to do it on top. So I guess you'll have to turn the barrel upside down to get the wine out. You cannot create the hole in the middle of the plug because now you're essentially, essentially you're creating a spout. You're creating a faucet and you cannot do that. You're allowed to break a barrel to get, let's say you have figs that are pressed on the barrel and you can't get it in there, so you break the barrel open. But you can't intend when you're breaking it on creating a new container. Sometimes when you break a big container, you have a lot of small containers. You can't intend on that doing that. So now, uh, let's say you're in front of your guests. You have your big barrel there, and you want to show that you're really a hotshot. So you take your knife, and you slice off the top of the barrel open. That's okay. You don't have to worry about, hey, now you created a new container. You've done the last hammer blow of creating something. That wasn't your intent. Your intent was to show off, and you showed off amply very well. Halacha gimel, you're not allowed to close a hole either. You can't open it, you can't close it. So you cannot stop up a hole in a barrel. Even though you're using material that cannot squeeze. We're not talking about squeezing. The issue is not just squeezing. Let's say you're stuffing it up with a piece of wood, with a piece of stone. The issue here is the final hammer blow, the final creating something. 
Now you can place some food in the hole. Why are you placing food? You want to hide some food there. And in so doing, you might stuff it up. Even if you cheat a little bit, they say, I, I need to hide my food there. And then by in, do, in so doing, you, you stuff up the hole. That you're allowed to do. Now, by Torah law, as we said, the final hammer blow, halacha dalit, means that it's, it's, it's the final step. So therefore, filing something down, or fixing an item, anytime you file something down or fix an item, you are liable by Torah law. And because of this, our rabbis did not allow us to play music. Because you might come to fix or fine-tune the instrument. So you can't play with harps or lyres. You cannot make a beat with your hand or on the ground or on a board. You cannot snap your fingers together. You can't create a rattle with a nut for the baby to play with or a, a bell, even though you're only doing it to quiet down the child. Yes, you might be doing it to quiet down the child, but it is considered a musical instrument. So therefore, halacha, hey, you cannot drum, you cannot dance, you cannot clap on Shabbos for the same reason. You can clap with the back of your hands. That you're allowed to do. Also, along the same lines, because you might come to fashion something, you cannot swim on Shabbos. You might create a flotation device. Now, if you have a pool, a pool where it's very clear where the borders are, water doesn't leave, it doesn't splash out, then you can. It's not like the sea. No one's, it doesn't look like, uh, you're not gonna, no one's gonna confuse and say, hey, you can create a flotation device in the sea because we see you swimming in this pool, in this little pond. You also, halachavav, cannot cut a reed. You can't cut a reed to use as a straw. That's fashioning something. If the reed was already cut, you can still get into the barrel and you can suck out wine, even though it hasn't been fully measured and trimmed to use. We're not concerned that you're going to fix it because you can use it. It's usable. You cannot place myrtle leaves at the opening of a hole of a barrel. Why would you create leaves? Uh, or, or Not necessarily myrtle leaves, but any leaves. You basically are creating a spout. You want the wine to come out of the barrel, to go to run on the leaves, and then come out. You don't want it to go straight onto the floor out of the, coming out of the barrel. So you're basically creating a spout. You cannot do that with any types of leaves. And also, you cannot break pottery or rip paper for a purpose. Let's say I'm ripping the paper because I need to use this paper for something, or I'm breaking the pottery because I need to use a piece of pottery. Again, you're fashioning a new item. So that you cannot use a long branch which has, sorry, you're allowed to use a long branch which has a receptacle attached to it. Let's say you, you're basically fishing. You're, you're putting it into, a, ba- into a, a well and you pick this stick and it has a cup at the end of it. So you pick out some water. That's okay. But if it doesn't have a cup attached to it, then we're afraid that you might actually fashion a receptacle, a cup-like thing out of the stick and therefore you cannot use the stick to dip it into the uh, uh, well or whatever it is. You cannot polish silver like the smiths do with a chemical called grisikin, it's called over here. It looks like the finishing touch. Now, you're allowed to polish as amateurs do with sand or with stone, that's okay. Um, but that's how you can polish silver. Now, when it comes to non-silver things, you can polish with whatever you want. That's not the professional way. That's not creating something. So if it's not silver, you can polish things up. You're also not allowed to wash pots or pans. That's the final touch. Unless you're washing them because you need to use them later on on Shabbos for another meal, that's okay. Now, cups or uh, things you use to drink from, uh, jugs, thermoses, you can always wash them on Shabbos because you never know when you're going to need to drink. When it comes to pots or pans or plates or dishes, those, you have a set time when you eat. People eat at set meals. But drink, you always take a drink of water. So even if it's at the end of Shabbos, you can wash your cup because you might need it. You never know. Uh, you're not allowed to make your bed on Shabbos. Uh, if you're making it to be able to sleep on after Shabbos, you're setting your bed. But if you slept on a Friday night, now you can set and you make your bed when you get up, and then, then you're, you're making it so that it'll be nice to take a nap on Shabbos day. That's okay. You can also, the finishing touch halachaches would be immersing items into the mikvah. Because again, that looks like you're doing the final touch. Now they can be used. They, before they were unusable, now they're usable. 
Now, a person is allowed to go to the mikveh because by looking at him going into the water, you don't know. He might be going in to cool off. So it doesn't necessarily appear. You don't see, aha, look, he's putting a final touch on things. So therefore, it's not a problem. But you cannot sprinkle the ashes of the para aduma, of the red heifer, the cow that's used to make someone pure after they touched a corpse. You cannot sprinkle those ashes on Shabbos. Let's say accidentally someone did, they didn't realize, and they immersed something in a mikvah. They immersed their cup into the mikvah on Shabbos. Well, can they use the cup? The answer is, if they didn't realize that it was prohibited, they can use it. But if they knew, if they knew it was prohibited and they did it anyway, they cannot use that cup until after Shabbos. Now, let's say you have water that's not pure, and you want to purify the water on Shabbos. You can do that. How do you purify water on Shabbos? Are you going to pour water into the mikvah? How does that work? What you do is you take this water that's tummy, that's, that's, that's not pure, and you put it in a container. That container has to be a container that itself cannot become tummy. For instance, a stone container. So you have a stone jug, which has a little opening on it. You place that jug into the mikvah. The minute, as soon as the mikvah waters touch the water in the container, through the small opening on the top, now all the waters in the container are tahar, are pure, and that's how you can do it. You are not allowed halacha test to separate out miser and truma. Food cannot be eaten until you give the presents to the poor, to the levy, to the kohen. So once you give those, separate out those presents, you're now making the food usable. Again, you're repairing something on Shabbos. You can't repair something. So those are the halachas of repairing. Final hammer blow. Now let's move on to halacha yud, tanning, ma'abed, tanning leather. So what is the malacha itself from a biblical perspective? It is softening skins that with oils like the tanners do. So you cannot put oil on your feet while you're wearing new shoes, leather shoes or sandals. That looks like tanning. It's rabbinically prohibited. You can smear oil on your feet when you're not wearing the shoes. Then you can put on the new shoes. That's okay. You can also smear a little oil on your body and then you can roll onto new leather mat. That's okay. But you cannot smear a lot of oil on your body because then it's not just a little shining the leather. It's going to soften the leather. Okay? Um, it's processing the leather. Uh, the, remember, the issue is that it's new leather. With old leather, it's not a problem. New leather, that's what the tanning issue is. Let's move on to the next. Malacha, mamachek, smoothing, moichek, smearing out plaster over a wound. That is part of the, that is a derivative, a tolda of moichek. You cannot smear plaster out. We've learned that. So rabbinically, you cannot close a hole with wax. Why? Because if you're going to seal it with wax, you might come to smear and spread the wax. You can't even use congealed oil. It's not liquid, again, because you might wind up using wax. It's a problem. Now let's move on to the next Malacha Yud Beis. Koisev, writing. Writing is a biblical prohibition on Shabbos. Rabbinically, therefore, you're not allowed to color your eyes. They used to use some blue type of uh, coloring to color their eyes. You also are not allowed to do things that might cause you to write things down. So you cannot lend or borrow money. You cannot buy or sell things. You cannot rent or rent out things. You cannot hire workers. You cannot tell someone to hire workers for you. Because, again, you might come to write down, I don't know how much it was, was, how much do I owe you. You're allowed to borrow or lend out items. That's okay. So you can borrow a jug of oil or a jug of wine. But you cannot use the word lend, halva, because halva, lending, has a, in the Hebrew, um, uh, has the uh, connotation of business. So therefore, you're not allowed to use that word. Now, no, now, no type of sale is permitted, halacha yud gimel. Not a verbal sale, not the actual handing over, uh, whether you're using a scale or whether you're not using a scale. In fact, you can't weigh things out on Shabbos and you can't even count things out and you cannot measure things out. You can't do it with a rope or by hand. Again, you might come to write these things down. You also think, here are other things, halacha yudala, that might bring you to write things down. The court cannot issue a verdict. They might write down the verdict that he's guilty. You cannot perform a uh, chalitza, a chalitza or a yibum. Remember when someone's brother dies without his 
having children. So you either marry his, your, your sister-in-law, his wife. You don't marry his sister-in-law. These are things that need to be recorded in the court. Or kiddushin, marriage. That also needs to be recorded. That's like buying and selling. You can also not dedicate items or consecrate items to the temple. That's like commerce. I'm dedicating this. I'm donating this. You cannot separate out. We said before. We said this for a different reason. You cannot separate out trumas amaisers. You cannot give your tithings to the kohen to the levi. It looks like you're donating items and making them holy. Now we already learned you can't do that because in so doing you're repairing your produce. But there's another reason you can't do that because it's like business. It's like commerce. So you cannot give one-tenth of your animals, you cannot separate out the tenth, every tenth animal you have to separate out, because usually when they would separate the tenth animal to designate it, they would put some red dye on it. You can, however, let's say, it's the day before Pesach. And on the day before Pesach, you have to bring your Passover offering. So you can dedicate your lamb on that day, and you can also dedicate your animal that's going to be used for the holiday offering on the holiday, because that's the mitzvah of the day. But you're not allowed to consecrate the water that's used with the ashes when you purify someone who t- touched a corpse. That you cannot designate and consecrate on the Shabbos. Let's say, halacha tezvav, you did accidentally, you separated out your truma, you separated out your maiser, you separated out a portion, a gift for the kohen, you separated out a gift for the poor on Shabbos. Well, you're allowed to eat those things if it was done unintentionally. Okay? If you did it intentionally, you actually knew that you're not allowed to do it, then you separate it out anyway. Well, now you cannot eat it until after Shabbos. You cannot eat your portion of it after Shabbos, okay? Now, after Shabbos, you don't need to separate it out again, because what you did is did. You did it. It actually, it counts, but you can't benefit from what you did on Shabbos. And the same would be true of uh, dedicating property to the temple. You shouldn't have done it on Shabbos. Maybe you did it intentionally so, but once you do it, it's done. Or if you sold an item on Shabbos, the sale is binding. It's a binding sale. You shouldn't have done it. Um, you're allowed to separate out your tenth from demai. Demai is produce where you bought it from someone, you're not sure, did they separate out the tithings or not? You can separate that out in the time period called Bein Hashemoshes. We've learned that this time period, you're not sure is it Shabbos or not. So because you're not sure if the gifts, if the tithings were separated out or not. And you're not sure if it's Shabbos or not. So therefore, um, you're allowed to separate it out in this sort of time period. But if it's food, you definitely know that they didn't separate out the gifts to the tithings, then the miser, then you cannot separate it out, even even if, it, if it's a time period right before Shabbos, you're not sure if it's Shabbos yet. Let's say you didn't separate out the miser. You didn't separate it out. But what you did is you designated. You said, you know, this part of the produce is going to go for the poor. Or this part, let's say the levy, you know, the levy, once he gets his gifts, he has, still has to give part of that to the Kohen. Called Trumas Meiser. So let's say the lady has all his produce there and he says, you know what? I'm designating it, Shabbos. I'm designating that this is going to go to the Kohen. Well, you still cannot, once you designate it, you still can't physically remove and separate out that part, even though you know exactly which part it is. But let's say the Kohen comes to your house. <laughs> you and he comes to us as a guest. Or the poor person, you had already designated out this tenth for the poor, but you didn't separate it out. Well, you're allowed to let the Kohen, you're allowed to let the poor person eat from it, even though in so doing they're going to be separating it out, you can let them to eat. But you just have to make sure you let them know that what you're giving them is things that they're obligated to give them, meaning you can't appear magnanimous. Hey, you came to my house, I'm going to give you such good stuff. You had to give it to them anyway. So tell them, hey, you happen to come at a good time because I just separated out the gifts that have to go to the poor and to the Kohen, so therefore you can do it. Don't try to show that you're a generous person when indeed you had to do it anyway. 
you cannot make a lottery. You cannot gamble on Shabbos. That's like commerce. You might come to write things down. Now, at home, you can make a lottery with your family to see who gets a bigger piece, a piece of the cake. That's a game. That's not lottery. That's not, that's not really gambling and lottery in the, in the commerce sense of it. Now, when we say halacha yudchas, you're not allowed to make calculations on Shabbos. You might calculate, what type of calculations are you not allowed to make? Calculations that you will need or you did need on Shabbos, for Shabbos. You're going to need them, you did need them for Shabbos. But let's say you don't need them at all. You just want to know, hey, you know, I was interested. How much did I make in 2000, in 1995? How much money did I make? Uh, how much did that wedding cost us? And you start calculating it. Well, that's a waste of time. You shouldn't do that in general. Not even during the weekday, says the Ramam. But there's no difference on Shabbos and the weekday because you're not really going to take it that seriously. So that's all for writing. Now let's continue on, Allah test for erasing. You cannot read contracts, regular contracts, because you might edit them. You might erase them. You might see something. You might edit them. Uh, you're, also, um, you're, you're allowed to count your guests and count how much, how many desserts and foods, the lights you have. You can do that verbally, but you cannot read it out of your ledger. Okay, we have a paper, we have uh, 14 brownies and 13 scoops of ice cream and 25 guests. Now again, you might edit and you might uh, write it out. So you can, you can verbally count it out, but you can't read it out from a paper. So let's say the names and all these things are carved out on stone. For whatever reason, you have your carved out menu and your guests on stone. That's not an issue because you're not going to come. No one's going to come to see that and say, hey, if you're doing that, now you're allowed to read a contract. They're going to realize this difference. Also, you can't read the caption. The caption is under an image or under a picture. You cannot read that. Also, if you uh, sit at home, uh, this is a general thing. Don't study Torah, the Tanakh. Don't study on, on Shabbos at home. There's a set house of study, the Beis HaMedrash, is a set group. If everyone's going to sit at home and study on Shabbos, then the Beis HaMedrash is going to be empty. The house of study is going to be empty. Everyone should come to Shul. Extinguishing a fire, halacha chaf. During a fire, people panic. They want to save their property. And therefore our sages said, hey, if there's a fire breaks out, you can only save whatever you need uh, that you, uh, items, now you can carry. We're talking about an area where you can carry. You can carry out of your courtyard into another courtyard. That's okay because you've created an Eruv. There's an Eruv. Um, but you are generally not allowed to save items because you might come to extinguish the fire. So generally, the general rule is don't save anything. We're going to see what you can save in a moment. But don't save anything because as you're saving, oh, no, no, and you move the fire, you extinguish it, you're going to be tempted to. So what did the sages say? They said you can only save, you can only rescue enough food or clothing or items, your dishes, your clothing that you need for that Shabbos. This way, the rest of the stuff you've already written off. You've already written that stuff off and you're not going to come to extinguish it. Now, if there's no Eruv, if you can, then you can't save anything because you're not allowed to carry. That's a problem. So let's say the fire broke out on Friday night. So now you need three meals. So you can save enough for food of three meals for all the people and all the animals in your household. If the fire broke out on Shabbos day, before your lunch meal, so now you have meal two and three, you can save for two meals. If it broke out in the afternoon, you just have one meal left, your final meal of Shabbos, you can only save enough for one meal. Now these limitations, halacha chavez, are only if you're either filling up many containers, then we say, hey, you've got to be limited, or if you're filling the same container and you're moving back and forth and coming back and forth. But let's say you're filling up one container. Well, if you're filling up one container, you can put whatever you want, as much, even if it's more than three meals worth, because you're only filling it up once one container. So halacha chavgimel, you can carry out a large basket, a large basket that's filled with bread, enough for a lot of many meals. You can fill up an entire, uh, you have a pressed fig dates, uh, pressed figs, and you have an entire wheel, you stuff up the wheel. You have an entire barrel of wine, fill up the whole barrel of wine. You can spread out a big cloth and put as much food as you can fit in that cloth at once. 
Now the owner doesn't, cannot, not only can he save his own stuff, he can tell people in the neighborhood, hey, everybody, you can save whatever you need for Shabbos. One meal, two meals, three meals, or if it's one container, they can fill up as much as they want. The same rules apply to them. And they get to keep it for themselves because it's hefker, it's ownerless. The person has given up ownership of them, it now belongs to them. If they want to give it back to the owner after Shabbos, that's okay, they can do that. And they can even charge him for the energy that they expended, the time that they placed to save the food. The, the, the food. It's not, that's not a problem, says the Ramam, of getting paid for your work on Shabbos because what they did was permitted, there was an Erev and that wasn't a problem. Now you want to get paid for it, that, that is okay. Halacha, chaf, hey. Once you brought out white bread, white bread is good bread, now you can't go back in to get dark bread, black bread, because it's inferior. No one's going to come to eat the dark bread. You already got what you want, the white bread. But vice versa, if you took dark bread, and now you find white bread, hey, you can bring out white bread. That's better quality bread. Let's say Yom Kippur is Shabbos, and the fire breaks out on Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur is Friday, I'm sorry. And now the fire breaks out on Yom Kippur, and it goes right from Friday into Shabbos. We don't have that nowadays, but when they set up the calendar, it could have been that way. So now you can save food for Shabbos the next day. But let's say it's Shabbos now and Yom Kippur is the next day. So it's now Shabbos. You want to set, okay, uh, rescue food for this Shabbos, but you also want to rescue food for your meal after Yom Kippur. No, you can't do that. Okay? And you cannot save food on this Shabbos for another Yom Tov, a holiday that follows. And you can't save food on this Shabbos for the next Shabbos. For that's when it comes to food. When it comes to clothing, so... You can put put on as much as you food uh, many clothes much clothing as you can wear. That's great. Um, wrap as much stuff as you can around you, and others can do the same. And it's theirs, just like the food, because the rest is ownerless. They can take it for themselves. If halacha chavav, you have scrolls of the Tanakh, the twenty-four books of the Torah, you're allowed to rescue them, providing that these are scrolls written in Hebrew and written in the Ashuri script in the font and the alphabet that we have our Torahs written in, and then you can carry them from one courtyard to another courtyard. So long as, 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 as the courtyard is enclosed with at least three walls and a post, you, you, you can, even though there's no Erev, and Erev means that we, you, uh, you uh, come together and you create a food, we're going to learn about this in the laws of Erev, and you join everyone together, even if there's no formal Erev, which is a rabbinic obligation to create, to carry. But if it's enclosed, then by Torah law you can carry, you can save, you can carry out the scrolls from the burning house. But if these scrolls are written in another language, or translations, or other scripts, or alphabets, transliterations, you cannot save them, even if there is an Erev. In fact, you can't even read them during the weekday, because these are non-authorized and non-authentic Torahs. They are not authentic translations of the Torah. So therefore, what do you do? Even during the weekday, you place them in a dumping area, and you let them deteriorate on their own. Halacha Chavzayim. If the Tanakh was written in non-permanent ink, um, you still save them. Because they're written in Hebrew and they're written in this Ashuri font and the font of the Torah. Now, the blank parts of the, sc- of the scrolls, the margins, the spaces before and after the paragraphs, before and after the columns, before and after each book, them that you cannot say. Also, let's say you have a sitter, you have, uh, uh, or, or a kamea, an amulet that has various uh, prayers in them and various uh, uh, blessings in them. Even though they have God's name in them and they have many concepts in the Torah, you can also not save it on Shabbos. And finally, halacha chavches. You are allowed to save a Torah scroll, even though most of the Torah scroll is, is, is faded. If it has complete words that contain at least 85 letters, even though some of the words might be Aramaic words in the Torah, like the word Yigar Sahadusa, which Lavan says in the Torah, it's not a Hebrew word, but it's part of the Torah. And as long as you have complete words that contain 85 letters, that's okay. 
You can also save a Torah scroll if it has an entire paragraph. The entire paragraph which has God's name in it, even though that paragraph has less than 85 letters, a lot of words, and has God's name in there, well, the rest of the Torah might be faded. That's okay. The paragraph the Ramam gives the example of is Vayihib and so on. That paragraph has words, complete words, less than 85 letters, but it has God's name in it. Now, you can also save, says the Ramam, the container, the cover of the Torah, the cover of tefillin, even though that container might have money in it, you're allowed to save it as well. And this concludes Perek Chav Gimel.